The Old Testament reading for the day of Pentecost comes from the prophet Ezekiel, the 37th chapter. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you. And you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, These bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are clean cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people. And I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, and I will do it, declares the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. With the heart one believes and is justified. second reading, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes from the Acts of the Apostles, the second chapter. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, 
we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others, mocking, said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of the Lord. And the Holy Gospel comes to us according to St. John, the 15th chapter. Jesus said, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. I did not say these things to you from the beginning, because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asks me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all, all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Today we celebrate Pentecost Sunday, the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the apostles just as Jesus promised, the day when the Christian church was established and began her mission of proclaiming Jesus Christ's death and resurrection to the ends of the world. Pentecost is an amazing day. It's a day of many miracles. As the disciples are gathered together, that sound of a mighty rushing wind fills the house that they're in. Fills it so much that people from all over the entire city of Jerusalem come to investigate. And along with the sound of wind, tongues of fire appear over the heads of the apostles and they begin speaking in different tongues. Not jabbering in gibberish, as the Pentecostal movement claims, but speaking clearly in established languages that they had not studied or previously known. 
They speak the word of God to all those who have come to investigate the sound of the wind, speaking to people from all over the world and telling them the good news of Jesus Christ in their own native tongue so that all can understand clearly and reasonably what Jesus has done for them. Pentecost was a day of miracles, a day that had been foretold by the prophet Joel, a day of amazing signs and displays of God's power. And how did the people react? Well, for many, they rightly responded in faith. Hearing the word of God, seeing his power on display, they believed what the apostles told them, and they were baptized into the Christian faith. We're later told that about 3,000 people who saw and heard the events of Pentecost responded in faith and repentance, becoming Christians by the power of the Holy Spirit. So many people saw and heard and then believed, but not everyone. Even in the face of such good news, even as they witnessed the inexplicable, miraculous signs of Pentecost, There were those who responded not with awe and faith, but with mockery. Hearing the wind, hearing the many different languages being spoken, they mocked the entire situation and claimed that the apostles were just drunk on new wine. This is no miracle, they exclaimed. This is just a bunch of drunken fools. Nothing to see here. What a waste of time. How? How could they do that? How could they stand in the presence of the Holy Spirit, witness for themselves the mighty miracles of Pentecost, and mock it? And not even with a reasonable explanation. Their explanation is, these guys are drunk. Now, I've been around drunk people, unfortunately, and their language skills rarely become better. How could these people not have been convicted of their sin? How could they deny God's hand of might and power when it's right there in front of them? How could they mock? Well, the sad fact is, unbelievers will always mock God's word. There are so, so many hardened sinners who will never be convinced to take God's word seriously. Their sin is so deep. They are so deluded by Satan. They have closed their eyes to God's truth, have made up their mind to believe a lie, and nothing at all will convince them otherwise. They may not have a reasonable answer. They may not have any speculation at all. But they do know that they are right and that they are certain Christianity is wrong. Why? Because they want it to be. And so no matter what the church says or does, they will find fault with it. The church can lay out the most convincing, most logical, most evidence-laden argument for the existence of Jesus Christ, and they will deny and mock it to the bitter end. They will mock the church, the Bible, and God himself in an effort to belittle and dismiss that which they despise. And for these hard-hearted sinners, those who reject the Holy Spirit, those who mock God's good and gracious gift of redemption and eternal life, they have condemned themselves. 
They have rejected God's free gift of heaven, and they have chosen for themselves an eternity of suffering in hell. And that's bad, of course, but it's not unexpected. We know that those outside the church who hate God, they will always belittle and mock God and his word and his miracles. We've sadly gotten used to that and even come to expect it. Unbelievers going to unbelieve. What's new? It doesn't shock us anymore to hear the faithless pagan, the atheist celebrity, the humanist expert make light of our faith and mock God and all that he does and says. That's not surprising anymore. What is surprising to us, though, is how often those who claim to be Christian are the ones doing the mocking. You see, the world is not what it once was. And the satanic culture of our world, it has pushed its way firmly into the Christian culture, leading many who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ to follow the spirit of the world instead. It's very trendy right now to say that you're a Christian, but not one of those kind of Christians. Not one of those hypocritical, Bible-believing, closed-minded, judgmental kind of Christians. No, 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 I'm the cool kind of Christian. I'm hip with it. I, I like people. We get thrilled when we find out that an actor or a musician or some celebrity that we enjoy proclaims that, we are, that they are a Christian. But then we're heartbroken when we hear them mock the church, discard the Bible, belittle those who stand firm in God's true teaching. When they despise our Christian values and clearly speak and live against what we believe and what God teaches. And not just individuals disappoint us in this way. So many church bodies are out there claiming to be teaching the Bible, claiming to be followers of Jesus, claiming that they have the true love of Christ within them, and yet they disregard what his word clearly says, and instead they teach the ways of the world. They say that sexual sin doesn't matter anymore because everybody's fine with it now, so God obviously is too because he goes by majority vote now. They say that transgenderism is good and natural and right because people want to do it, and who are we to say they shouldn't? They say that so-called social justice matters more than sin and redemption, and that's what the church should be all about. They say that doctrine that's actually based on God's word, that's just too divisive. And we need to be more like the world, to draw people in, to get them receptive to hearing what we have to say, even if we're only saying what the world has already said to them. They toss out the certainty of Jesus' death and resurrection that saves us from our sins, and instead they base their teachings on emotions and on worldly gain and on all sorts of the things that the Bible specifically says, do not do. Whether it's an individual or an entire church body, to claim the title of Christian but to reject the Bible and God's clear word, to deny his miracles and his teachings, to look more to culture and feelings than scripture, that is to mock God himself. To cast him aside and say, that's cute God, but we've got something better here. 
to put the world's ways ahead of God's, to claim that your way is better than his, is to make a mockery out of God's authority and power. To twist God's word around to say something completely backwards of what it actually says is to mock God and to pretend that he is completely wrong and ignorant and he's got no clue what's actually going on. To want to live a life of sin and depravity but still claim that you're doing God's work and that you'll be rewarded with heaven in the end is making a mockery out of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and all his teachings. And make no mistake, those who mock the word of God, those who reject his miracles and truth, in the end they will stand before his throne of judgment and they will be condemned. Their mockery and their rejection, their false teaching and leading of others into sin, it leads only to hell, no matter how convincing and kind it might sound. But before we get too smug here, Let's remember that we ourselves are not innocent of mocking God either. When we follow the ways of the world instead of God's, we are just as guilty. When we say that our political views, no matter which side we fall on, are more important than our Christian faith, we too are mocking God. When we agree with the world that marriage can be redefined to be between whoever and whatever we want it to be, that gay marriage and divorce and polygamy and living together, oh, they're all just fine. We are mocking what God has instituted. When we take sex lightly and treat it as a recreational activity, use it outside of marriage, we mock the precious gift of unity that God has given to husband and wife. When we buy into the woke culture of hypocritically calling out everyone but ourselves and aggressively hunting down things to be outraged over, we mock God's order to take the plank out of our own eye before trying to remove the speck from others. When we ignore the suffering of our fellow man because we enjoy our own comfort too much, we mock God's command to love and assist our neighbor. When we hide our Christian faith for fear of ridicule or persecution, we mock God's commission to take his word and his teachings to those who are trapped in darkness and death. We mock the seriousness of what unbelief really means as we claim our witness doesn't matter. When we belittle the church, when we say that it's really not that important, when we say that we have better things to do, we mock the very body of Christ and we belittle the Christian fellowship that God has given to us. When we turn away from the church and refuse to attend because someone said or did something that offended us, we mock the treasure of the church and we pretend that our pathetic little ego is far more important than God's word and his sacrament. Yes, every single one of us has mocked God, has mocked his church, has mocked his miracles and his salvation and his commands and his mercy and his grace. Every single one of us is a mocker who is no better than those who on Pentecost claimed the disciples were drunk. We have all put our own desires ahead of God's. We've all followed our sinful culture instead of Scripture. We've all poo-pooed God's miracles and power and grace in our lives, and we have made a mockery 
of all the precious gifts that our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has given to us. Have you ever been around someone who just mocks you constantly? If you have, I'm guessing you haven't stayed there for very long. When someone makes fun of everything that you do, when someone belittles everything that you try to do for them, you distance yourself from them pretty quickly, don't you? You write them off, you turn away from them, you put them and their mocking ways far, far away so you don't have to be bothered by it anymore. You know, we might try to get along with them for a time, might try to say, well, that's just the way that they are. But eventually we get fed up with it and we just say, enough, I'm not going to do this anymore. So why doesn't God do that to you? Even as we twist his words, even as we put worldly things ahead of eternal things, even as we continually mock him, God continues to speak to us continues to call out to us wretched sinners, continues to forgive those who believe. You know, that's the greatest miracle of Pentecost. It wasn't the sound of the wind or the tongues of fire or the languages. It was the message that the apostles proclaimed. It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We sinners who mock God so badly, who deserve to be outcasts, we are instead given chance after chance, opportunity after opportunity, to hear the saving word of God. He does not give up on us. The Holy Spirit continually calls us by his gospel, enlightens us with his gifts, sanctifies and keeps us in the one true faith, even as we fight and resist and try to get back out into our sin and the world. God never stops speaking to us sinners, never withdraws his holy word from us, never writes us off as worthless and hopeless. The miracles and the gifts that we mock, he continues to pour them freely into our undeserving lives. He gives us the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, who strengthens our faith to resist our sinful urges to make light of his gifts. He empowers us with his strength to make us strong even in the face of adversity, to make us bold to stand against those who mock him. He gives us the rock of his truth, his word that stands up to all scrutiny. He shows us by the power of the Holy Spirit that there is nothing to mock or reject in Scripture, nothing that we could possibly improve upon because it is perfect. But most importantly, even as we mock Him, God gives us eternal forgiveness through the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. That's a message that the world and that unbelievers mock relentlessly. But it is the one and only way to heaven. Jesus Christ, fully God, humbled himself to take on human flesh. He walked this world among his own sinful creation, enduring the taunting and the unbelief and the mocking, living the perfect and holy life that we never could. And all that sin that we committed, every last sin from Adam and Eve to the very end of time, he took it all upon himself to become the propitiation of our sin, the one who would pay the penalty in our place. He was arrested 
and ridiculed, beaten and mocked, nailed to a cross and lifted up to die a humiliating death in front of the whole world. But he endured all of that willingly to pay the price of your sin in full. Jesus Christ, true God in the flesh, was crucified, died, and was buried to take away your guilt. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead to take away your death, to give you the absolute guarantee of everlasting life in heaven. All those who call upon the name of the Lord, all those who look to his cross and empty tomb in faith, they will be saved. Spared from the fires of hell that our sin deserves. Washed clean of all of our guilt. Forgiven of all of the times that we mocked his holy and precious name. All because God's love for his fallen creation is so great that he gave up everything to save you. This is the glorious message that the apostles proclaimed on Pentecost. And the message that Christ's faithful church still proclaims today and will until the very end of time. It shouldn't surprise us that there are those who mock it, both then and now, both outside the church and within. It shouldn't even surprise us when we ourselves mock it from time to time because we are still sinners. And our sinful nature despises the truth of God's word. But what should surprise us? What should have us in a constant state of awe and reverence and thanksgiving is that God, the very one we mock, still calls to us, still pours out his grace into our lives, still forgives us of all of our sin and calls us his own. He sends the Holy Spirit into our sinful lives and turns our hearts works faith within us, shows us that we have no right or even reason to mock his word. For his word is truth, unchanging across all generations, and his word alone is where eternal life is found. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of every one of your sins, and eternal life in heaven is yours. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.